such an honor. Just want to say thank you for the privilege of being here. Thank you to this worship team. Don't they do a beautiful job in leading us? So grateful. God is good. Well, it's such an honor to be here with you again as we wrap up this three-part series on the big three, love, sex, and happiness. These three pursuits that absolutely dominate every corner of our culture. The main theme, right, of almost all music, movies, and media campaigns somehow is one of these three things, love, sex, or happiness. And they are not bad. In fact, they are all good. Love, sex, happiness are all God's idea and part of God's good creation. The problem, as Pastor Jason pointed out on week one, is that the cultural definition of these things is changing all the time. And so if you try to build your life on the culture's understanding of the big three, it will be like trying to build on sand. And your house is going to collapse when the storms come. It just can't stand. But as Pastor Jason pointed out week one, if we will fine tune our understanding of love, sex, and happiness from a biblical perspective, we will flourish. And I want you to remember that word flourish because we're going to revisit it before we're done this morning. Here's a fun fact. I did not know what the topic was when I agreed to speak today. And when I found out it was happiness, I wanted to call and cancel so many times. Two reasons. One, the topic is like way too huge, like encyclopedia huge. I was talking to a friend this week and she said, and, and what are you gonna be talking about? And I said, happiness. And her immediate response was, no pressure. I know, I know, right? It's just way too huge. But probably more, more importantly, the topic was just way too personal. It might surprise you to know that happiness doesn't just happen for me. I smile easily and sincerely. I love to laugh. I embrace fun. I cultivate the disciplines of gratitude and celebration pretty intentionally. But by nature, I am an introvert and a contemplative, which means for me that I am also by nature prone to, well, let's just call it the blues. Tinges of sadness often color my days, my entire adult life. To one degree or another, I have journeyed into and out of some kind of darkness or depression. Paul wrote that he has learned to be content in all circumstances. And I'm always like, good for him. At best, I might be able to write, I am learning 
to be content in all circumstances, but most of the time I have to choose joy. Most of the time I have to choose happiness. I have to work quite hard. I suspect that I'm not alone in that. And so I showed up today, even though I really didn't want to. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are here with us. You are our teacher, our counselor, and our guide. Help us to think about this topic this morning with the mind of Christ. Open our minds and our hearts to understand the truth of God's Word, not just with our heads, but in a way that transforms our hearts and lives. Come, Holy Spirit. We need you. This topic always recalls for me an experience I had with my now-grown niece when she was six years old. Um, we were taking a walk at Silver Lake Camp, and we met a young woman who was coming toward us, and as she came to pass us, I smiled at her, and I said, hi. And she said, hi, very quietly, and then passed us without smiling. And my, my niece, who was ahead of me on, on the bike, turned to me and said, is, is she a Christian? And I said, I don't know. And then she turned back on her bike, and she wasn't really talking to me. She was talking to herself. She kind of said under her breath, you can tell if they're Christians if they smile or not. And I got to tell you, that statement just stopped me in my tracks, and it continues to arrest me to this day. Brittany had figured out at six years old something that many followers of Jesus take a lifetime to realize. What she knew at six years old was that people who follow Jesus have more to smile about, more to be happy about than anyone else on the planet, period. Now, I am not talking about the kind of Sunday school, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands kind of happiness. And I'm not talking about the grin and bear it kind of happiness that encourages you to like fake it till you make it. I am not saying that followers of Jesus always need to have a smile on their face and should never be sad, because if I'm saying that, then I'm disqualified already and shouldn't have come today after all. But I am saying that the Christian life is a happy life. It is not an easy life. In fact, it was promised by Jesus to be a troubled life. But a Christ-following life is a happy life, and it should show. So what does the Bible have to say about it? Our goal for this morning is twofold. Purpose number one, discover the biblical perspective on happiness. Purpose number two, discover the biblical path for happiness. So as we think about the biblical perspective on happiness, 
We have to pay attention to the actual words the Bible uses. And at this point, you may be thinking, well, I don't remember seeing the word happy very often in my Bible. And you're right. You don't. Because we're reading the Bible in English. Week one, Pastor Jason pointed out that in English, we have one word for love. Pop quiz if you were listening. What's the one word that we have in English for love? Love. And um, Greek has five words for love. Pop quiz. No, just kidding. No, I won't quiz you on that. Similarly, in English, especially in, the, in recent modern times, we generally have one word for happy. Guess what it is? Happy. Hebrew has 18 words related to happiness, gladness, and joy. And here's the most important part. Those words are synonyms. That means that in the original languages, the words for joy, happiness, pleasure, delight, gladness, they are all used interchangeably in, get this, over 2,700 places in your Bible. When the friend I was chatting with heard my topic for today was happiness, she said, so are you talking about happiness or are you talking about joy? My answer is yes. In the church, we have become accustomed to hearing that happiness is shallow and subjective. Because happiness, we've told ourselves, is based on what happens to you. That joy is deep and spiritual. That joy is the real deal. Happiness is temporal. Joy is eternal. That's what we're used to hearing. I have preached some of those sermons. Imagine my surprise when I discovered they weren't entirely biblical. And this is a relatively modern phenomenon. For most of history, Christian scholars and preachers did not distinguish between happiness and joy. If I haven't lost you yet, let me put one more idea on the table. The word that is most often translated blessed in our Bibles is the word for happy in the original languages. The Sermon on the Mount, for example, Jesus' most famous sermon of all could accurately be titled, How to Be Happy, because it literally uses the word happy over and over again. Happy the poor in spirit, because theirs is the reign of heaven. Happy the mourning, because they shall be comforted. Happy the meek, because they shall inherit the land. I'm skimming over a lot of scholarship very quickly this morning. I'm going to encourage you not to take my word for it. Go out and check it all out for yourselves in your Bible study tools and apps and discover for yourself the biblical perspective on happiness. It's different than we've thought. As we move toward the second piece, that is discovering the biblical path to happiness, which is where we really want to land in our text for this morning, 
Before we get there, I just want to lay three foundational truths. Foundational truth number one, God is happy. God is happy. Now, that may not be the first thing that comes to mind when you think about God. Right? I don't, maybe you've never even thought about God that way. Typically, when we think about God, we say that God is holy, God is powerful, God is sovereign, God is good, and all of those things are true. But it is also and equally true that God is happy. C.S. Lewis writes that joy is the serious business of heaven. Dallas Willard writes about God's joyous being. I love what Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.11. Paul writes about the good news of the glory of the happy God. 1 Timothy 1.11, the good news of the glory of the happy God. G.K. Chesterton writes that God is the happiest being in the universe. God is a happy God. Foundational truth number two, God made you to be happy. God made you to be happy. And you may be like, no, 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 God made us to be holy. Yes. How do I know that God made you to be happy? I know it because the longing for happiness is part of the universal human experience. Eight billion people on this planet, and after the basic needs of safety and security are met, the thing that every human being, every human heart longs for is happiness. And when we notice something that we all hold in common, we better sit up and pay attention because that points us to our creator. The longing for happiness is part of what it means to be a human who has been created in the image of God. Since the beginning, we have tried to satisfy that longing for happiness in all kinds of distorted and destructive ways. But the longing for happiness is not the problem. God made you to be happy because he made you in his image. God made you to be like him, holy, just, righteous, loving, but also happy. Foundational truth number three. True happiness is only found in God. True happiness is only found in God. Because we are created in the image of God, created to be like God, therefore we have a God-shaped longing for happiness in our hearts. That longing can only be filled in God. C.S. Lewis says it this way, God cannot give us happiness apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. 
God cannot give us happiness apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. And therein lies the problem with some of the ways that culture tries to get to happy. Because we try to get to happy in a way that leaves God out of the equation and there is no such thing. Happiness was made by God, for God, for us, for you. He's the only one that can bring it. And so how do we get there? Well, there is a path. So come with me to the book of the Bible that literally begins with the word happy. We're in Psalm 1 this morning. And I'm going to be reading today from the Christian Standard Bible, Psalm 1. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers, Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that, blows, that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. So there's a big contrast going on here between two groups of people between the wicked and the righteous. The psalmist is laying out two pathways. One pathway that the righteous take, one that the wicked take. And right off the top, we need to define some terms. Because we might be tempted to think of righteous people as those who do the right things. And wicked people as those who do like really evil, horrible, awful things. But what we need to know, not just to read this psalm properly, but to read all 150 of the psalms correctly, is that whenever the psalmist talks about the wicked, he simply means the ungodly. And by that he means just those who do not center their lives around God, but around themselves. Consider, consider this quote. When the psalmist speaks of the wicked, he simply means those people who have little or no time for God in their lives, who have ruled God out of their affairs and their thinking. They have no heed for the fact that God is the creator of the universe, the one who makes sense out of life. To eliminate God from your thinking and your way of life is to be wicked, to be ungodly. We need to understand that because the point that he's making is that the contrast that's here is between people who live self-centered lives and people who live God-centered lives. One way is going to lead to happiness, one way is going to lead to ruin, and the big idea of Psalm 1 is that happy people live God-centered lives. Happy people 
live God-centered lives. Then he lays out a bit of a, a path for us, three things not to do, two things to do, and one beautiful result. Verse 1, we learn that happy people choose their counsel, companions, and commitments carefully. Happy people choose their counsel, companions, and commitments carefully. Listen again to verse 1. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. So remember who the wicked are? They are not necessarily horrible, evil people who do horrible, evil things. The wicked are simply those who have ruled God out of the equation, who live out of a worldview that leaves God out of it. Happy people choose their counsel carefully. In other words, they are discerning in whose advice they follow, and they're not going to be following after the advice of people who are leaving God out of the picture, out of the equation. They don't stand in the pathway with sinners. The Hebrew word from, for sinner, it might be interesting for us to know, is a root word that means to make a loud noise or cause a tumult. It's talking about people who stir up trouble, cause disturbance, provoke riots. The psalmist says that happy people don't hang around with troublemakers. Jesus teaches, in fact, that happy people are the opposite. Happy are the peacemakers, the people who choose their companions carefully. The word mocker is also translated scoffer or the scornful. These are people who make it a habit of ridiculing, of, of being sarcastic, of disdaining and disregarding the things of God. And happy people don't take a seat with, don't sit down with. And by sit down with, it doesn't mean you don't associate with. It just means you're not going to align your allegiances with those who mock the things of God, you choose your commitments carefully. I love how Bible commentator Warren Wearsby sums it up. He says, if you follow the wrong counsel, then you will stand with the wrong companions and finally sit with the wrong crowd. If you follow the wrong counsel, you will stand with the wrong companions and finally sit with the wrong crowd. See, here's the truth, loved ones. Our choices and our allegiances have a direct relationship to our happiness. And listening to the wrong counsel and keeping the wrong company and making the wrong commitments or taking the wrong kinds of stands for things in our lives leads to a miserable life. In fact, the psalmist says it leads to ruin. And actually every self-help book and therapist will tell you that. So it's good to do a self-checkup from time to time and just pay attention to who do you walk with, stand and, and sit with. 
both in person and online. What counsel do you listen to? What is the voice in your head, in your feed? Who are the most influential voices in your life? Are you keeping company with peacemakers or troublemakers? Are your commitments God-centered or self-centered? Verse 1 tells us three things not to do. Verse 2 tells us two things to do instead. Instead, the happy person delights in the Lord's instruction and meditates on it day and night. The happy person delights in the Lord's instruction and meditates on it day and night. Just say it simply this way, happy people delight in the word of God. Happy people delight in the word of God. If you go to the book section of Amazon right now and type in happiness, you come up with 60,000 results. I started scrolling and I'm like, oh, forget this. 60,000 results. And you know what? Some of those books will be quite good. Because science and psychology have figured out some of the secrets to real happiness, forgiveness, being content with what you have, living generously, being mindful, being thankful. Guess what, friends? Every one of those secrets is already found in this book. And for people who build their lives on the foundation of this book, it is no secret at all. If you want to live a happy life, I cannot encourage you more than to build your life on the Word of God. Build your life on the Word of God. Delight in it. Chew on it. All the time. Did I already tell you what, how Eugene Peterson translates this? I can't remember if I told you or not, so I'm just going to repeat it because it's worth hearing. Peterson renders this in the message. Instead, you thrill to God's word. You chew on scripture day and night. Thrill to God's word. Chew on scripture day and night. You know, there have never been more tools available to you than right now to help you make the Word of God a priority in your life. And not just reading it, although that's a great place to start. So I would say, if you're not reading your Bible every day, do like the old Nike campaign, like just do it. Just do it. But the counsel here is to do more than read it, it is to chew on it, to delight in it, to meditate on it, which carries with it that connotation of just kind of like muttering it all the time. That's what it means in Hebrew. And the tense of the Hebrew is keeps on meditating, like breathing in all the time. There are so many tools available to you to help you do that. Happy people delight in the word of God. Verse 3 tells us what you will be like if you do that. 
You will be like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in season and its leaf, leaf does not wither. Whatever you do will prosper. What I wrote down as I meditated on that verse was that happy people have deep roots and grow good fruit. Happy people have deep roots and grow good fruit. Anybody who um, knows me well or has been in our home knows that I have a love affair with trees. I have pictures of trees all over my house. Springtime trees bursting with new life. Summer trees heavy with harvest. Autumn trees full of color. Even winter trees with bare branches. I love my tree pictures. The picture of this tree in Psalm 1 is especially powerful. And I wrote in the margins of my Bible, fruitful, productive, vital, flourishing. That's the image that we have here. And let me ask you, isn't that the kind of person that you want to be? Doesn't that sound like a happy life? It puts me in mind of Jesus' promise in John 10.10, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Or perhaps you're more familiar with this translation, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Have it more abundantly. That is the picture and the promise here. Abundant life, a life that is productive, a life that perseveres in every season, a life that is prosperous, a life that results from being deeply rooted, drawing continually from the source of all life. Pastor Jason said week one that if we will fine-tune our understanding of love, sex, and happiness from a biblical perspective, we will flourish. Psalm 1 paints us a picture of a flourishing life, a happy life, a life that is deeply rooted in the source of life, God himself. You know what the culture tells you. We hear it all the time. If you are sexy, powerful, beautiful, rich enough, you will be happy. Other voices in culture will tell you that if you live your best life, speak your truth, be the best you you can possibly be, you will be happy. The Bible teaches us that true happiness is only found in Jesus because he is the one who created us for it. True happiness is only found in Jesus because he is the one who created us for it. 
And the path to happiness, according to the Bible, is to choose a God-centered life. Choose your counsel, your companions, your commitments carefully. Chew on the Word of God constantly. Be deeply rooted in the deep things of God. If we do that, we will realize a deeper and more lasting happiness than we can even imagine. And you know what? That really is something to smile about. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is a firm foundation upon which to build our lives. I pray for, for each one of us that's been listening this morning that you would bring to our mind the one word, the one idea, the one truth that you want us to take away today. Thank you, Jesus, that you have come that we might have life and have it abundantly. And wherever there are areas of our lives where we are not experiencing the abundant life that you came to give us, would you move in and do a deeper work? We invite you to continue to form and transform us into your image and to give to us the kind of happy life that we can only find in you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen.